Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed today by F1 media legend in the heart of North America, cycling between race venues to keep an eye on his carbon footprint because Lewis Hamilton said so. It's Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Well, if I did cycle from Mexico to here, I did it remarkably quickly. I'm uh, in, I'm in Austin, Texas, although you can't see because the curtains behind me suggest that I could be anywhere in the world. Um, and it's fairly miserable weather here, actually. It's all sort of overcast and nasty. Yeah, we heard that it was it was going to be cooler for the Grand Prix, so we might get some graining and some some different sort of tyre dynamics than we normally get. Yes, but I don't think it really matters a lot because Lewis Hamilton's got to score just four points in the last three races, and the only person who can beat him is Valtteri Bottas, who must win and get fast as that in all the remaining races. So to be quite honest, um, it doesn't really matter who's going to win. I'm sure Lewis will try. And uh, we'll see after that. And the other positions in the World Championship, there's only a couple of fights in the drivers. I think. The midfield's really exciting. Though. There's lots of changes that can happen there. But Vettel and Verstappen are in a quite a, a good old sort of ding-dong. And if Leclerc messes up many more times, then he'll be joining him. You think he's been messing up? Well, he messed up a little bit. Uh, he's made a few mistakes along the way, and his, his strategy was wrong, as was Albon's, to be honest. But... Um, uh, which is a shame because he was on for a podium at the one point. It was, it was fabulous. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, we're just basically running the season down now. Um, the likelihood of Lewis not winning the championship, um, you can never say never, but uh, it's quite unlikely, let's put it that way. So the sooner Lewis wraps up the title, the sooner people can start speculating about his end of season form and what it will mean for, you know, reading far too much into it for 2020. 
Uh, I think that you're reading tons too much into it. Lewis is already in preparation for 2020. He wants to win the championship again, and I'm told he's working harder than ever, even harder than he did this year. So um, it's quite clear that he's on a mission to beat Michael Schumacher, both in terms of overall race victories and in terms of overall championship wins. So good for him. Um, and he's, you know, he is currently the class of the field, and I don't think there's anybody out there apart from a few Dutchmen um, who, who would argue with that. So you think that Lewis Hamilton is definitely going for those records. I only ask because the F1 graphics at the weekend accidentally put Hamilton number 63, which looked like they were sneakily preparing for George Russell to, to go to Mercedes. Uh, well, I think that's a lot of old tosh from people <laughs> who haven't got enough to do. Okay, fair enough. Is there is there any part of Lewis Hamilton, do you think, that will be happier that, that he would potentially collect the title in Austin instead of, say, uh, Mexico, where he's done it in the past, or Brazil, where they were so hostile to him in 2008? Uh, no, I'm, I don't think Lewis cares one way or the other. But, you know, from a Formula One point of view, if he wraps it up in America, it's good because Formula One is trying very hard to get bigger in America. And Lewis is actually quite well known over here. He's quite famous in, in America. His, his fame is growing. Is it more for the fashion or is it because he's managed to make the leap from driver into the, the general media world? I think he's the only Formula One driver who is a personality outside the sport. Um, to be fair, you know, it's very hard for anyone other than the top guys to do that. Yeah. Uh, Max is a outside the sport in Holland, but not much <laughs> anywhere else. Um, Sebastian Vettel has the potential to be outside this, you know, big outside the sport, but he chooses not to do it. So, mm. um, you know, it's a bit of a shame. And to some extent, one feels that perhaps when they are paid the kind of salaries they are, they, they should actually be doing a bit of that sort of work. But generally speaking, um, it's a matter of privacy and they, they want to remain private. So fair enough, you know. Yeah, they should get yeah. less money. They should get less money, of course. But well, I'm, I'm a massive fan of um, the US late night talk shows like Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel, Conan O'Brien, and the only drivers I've seen on there are Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. Like, other than that, F1 hasn't just has not touched the kind of e kind of magazine TV media celeb world. It, it, it's more impressive that, that Hamilton has done it in recent years because in the old days there was Letterman, and Letterman was a huge racing fan. So he would have people on that other people wouldn't even think of putting on. But, but Lewis is on there quite often on the US TV shows. Um, and, okay, he's not exactly a household name, but he's still nonetheless got some profile of being the, you know, the world's best racing driver. Uh, just staying on Hamilton for a little while, uh, a little bit away from the racing I know, I'm not the most woke environmentalist at all. However, Lewis Hamilton came out with these famous comments now that you should go vegan to save the planet. Then there was this big backlash. They're like, oh, you're a hypocrite. You drive cars, you fly around the world. The thing that really interested me is that almost every F1 journalist came to Lewis's aid and came to Lewis's side on that debate. Is that how it felt in the, in the, the, press, the press room? Yes, pretty much so. I mean, I think, first of all, a lot of people got everything completely wrong. Lewis doesn't fly around on a jet anymore because he worked out that wasn't a good idea. He flies commercial and, you know, we could all stay at home and travel the world virtually, but um, what's the point? You know, one has to have a balance in these matters. And there's lots of things that um, cause global pollution, farting cows among them, um, 
Refrigerators are particularly bad. Cars are not great, but big ships are disastrous, which is actually kind of amusing because this new extreme E um, formula is basing itself on a ship and pumping around the world with tons of diesel being burned off. And there's a sort of irony there, but you know, there's a lot of ironies involved in electric motorsport and a lot of tosh talked as well about what's clean and what's not clean. And I think I may have mentioned in the past, if I haven't, I'm going to mention it now. The world's most polluting sporting event is the Tour de France. The bicycle people? Yes. You know why? Because they're all eating kale and farting kale has an impact on no, the environment. No, no, no. Okay, it's because the most important thing in counting up the damage one does to the world is the spectators. And 14 million people drive to watch the Tour de France. Just follow the helicopter shots of the Tour de France sometime. Look at the car parks there are all along the way. It's basically there's cars everywhere. So, you know, sometimes you get some strange results. And actually, in the next month, Formula One is launching a, uh, a very big campaign to explain to the world that Formula One is not as polluting as everyone seems to think, because we have this reputation because we fly in a few aeroplanes and we uh, and we drive around in circles for an hour and a half. But actually, they've done the numbers, and there are lots of sports and events that are far, far worse. Um, and a lot of Formula One events, of course, are held in towns which mean public transport. And that, you know, that's one of the big issues is, is how you get to the racetrack, how long you sit in a traffic jam, how long you pump out gas. <laughs> so Paul Ricard's well out of it. Paul Ricard would not figure well. <laughs> Silverstone would not figure well, obviously. But you know, Monte Carlo, almost nobody drives into Monte Carlo. Uh, Shanghai, nobody drives there. Uh, Singapore. I mean, these, these, are, these are easily or can easily be carbon neutral if they chose to do that. And I think we, you know, Formula One is long overdue. They should have done this four years ago. Unfortunately, Bernie and other people started spouting forth about how they didn't like the Formula One. And instead of praising it and being positive about Formula One, people were negative, and that impacted greatly on the on the sport. Which is, you know, when the promoter's doing it, you know, you're into really sort of what was his name, Ronson or whoever it was. It wasn't not I can't remember who it was, but there was some bloke who demolished his own company by being negative about it. The jewelry. And, uh, yes, yeah, I've forgotten. I've forgotten his name, but yeah, he called it like cheap tat or something, and then and then the company, yeah, and it destroyed yeah. his own empire. So I don't know what Bernie was was doing, but it was a not very clever thing to do. And to be fair, Luca Montezemolo was doing the same thing. So you know, you just have to put up with people sometimes. But now we're going to have a proper campaign telling the world that Formula One is actually a lot greener than they think, and it is. And the hybrid engines are extraordinary and remarkable and magnificent and groundbreakingly unbelievable actually for what it's worth if anyone needs this shed shed dweller's opinion uh, and i'll just say first brendan rogers says kimmy raikkonen just launched a clothing line with west coast choppers here in the u.s so maybe he's the next one to cross into megastardom lewis hamilton's message a clothing line a clothing line he's got pegs that go with it yeah that's it it's just a line there love it (laughs) (laughs) very good uh yeah you must be a dad uh, so yeah, I mean Lewis Hamilton, he, he delivered a, a good, well, actually, yeah. a good, well-meaning message in entirely the wrong way. But I think everyone has gathered around it in the right way, and it's nice to know that the F1 press, who who is who is not forgiving generally to Lewis Hamilton, they're more than happy to take a pop at him. 
but on this, they have been very much on board. How- I, don't, I don't. I don't think Lewis is 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 right in every respect. But I think no, 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 absolutely some not. Of, some of his remarks were taken out of context. Context, and when you actually hear the whole argument that he put forward, it's very reasonable, very sensible, and very caring for the world. And it's great to see somebody who's having an opinion. You don't have to agree with it, and you may say, "Well, that bit's wrong, and this bit's yeah. wrong." But the fact is, he's doing it, and he's and and you've got to take your hat off to him. Yeah, you got the whole motorsport it needs, it needs community. To be said. And I tell you what, he's a far better advocate for greenery than that silly little girl from Sweden wandering around who's clearly being manipulated by God knows how many people. All right, well... I'm uh, sorry if that upsets your readership, but that's the truth of it. She's a Muppet puppet. All right, well, I'll balance that by saying, go on, Greta, stick it to him. That's, there we go. So now we've got balance, Joe. Now, see, okay, I'm, learning, I'm, I'm learning about journalistic integrity. You're in North America. The yes, North Americans, they just do it better than us, don't they? Bringing the what? car up through the podium, Hamilton celebrating. Oh, I see. Big I thought you were thinking about political journalism. No, the most corrupt- no, no. <laughs> no. Easy there, Hoss. Know. Easy, Hoss. We're not going to go too far. No, down I'm now. sorry, but 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 you know, I, I, any, anything. You, you listen to some of the rubbish that's talked about the president over here, and you just think these people are, are either corrupt or stupid, and I can't make them. I not watch. Wish I had political. There, there are there are still there are still some very good journalistic outlets, but of course um, they're written off as being fake news. Um, but then again, you know Nixon didn't like the Washington Post either, did he? No, I wasn't around, but I'm sure both sides. You had... probably read it in a book somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure both it's sides had Watergate. You know, it was great a, a big scandaly thing. <laughs> the, the show, Joe, the show. That's what I want to talk about, the show. We should be embracing what they do in Mexico and what they do in Austin, shouldn't we? In Europe, couldn't we learn a little bit from raising a car up into the podium and announcers and confetti and DJs and mariachi guys with selfie sticks? Well, actually, up to a point, I agree with that. Uh, there is a reason that the Mexicans have won the best race award for the last four years. However, having a massive thumping disco in the back end of the press room immediately after the race is not a good plan because we're trying to work and the walls are, are moving around and no one can actually hear what's being said. So relatively speaking, it's dumb um, as this is supposed to be a media business. And we're trying to tell the world about what's happening, but we can't because we're too busy trying to find the neurofen. <laughs> okay. Oh dear, Joe, Joe, you know, we've gone full uh, middle-aged men yelling at clouds here. <laughs> so no, no, we haven't. It's just, it's just basic logic. I mean, yet the young guys yell at them too because you know, okay. why on earth would you have a disco going on immediately? I mean, and, and not a, it's not a quiet one. It's a bit like being next to Mount Vesuvius. I mean, literally, the walls do shake. Joe, it's not earthquake. Speaking of young men, can speaking of young men, can we can we speak of Mad Max? I, we've the individual incidents have been done to death. But what did you make of this almost return to vintage Max this weekend? It was it was disappointing, I think, for Verstappen fans. Uh, probably, I thought I thought that the yellow flag was just um, not very smart. Um, that, that's me being polite um, because he had pole position. If he'd lifted off, he would have still been on pole position. So the fact that he didn't and lost it just doesn't make any sense. But I think he knows that he's not he's not stupid. Um, as to what happened in the race, well, that's just, you know, I think after what happened in qualifying and the penalty, he was a little bit frustrated. And so it was like, sort of, I'm going for this, come what may. And, uh, you know, frankly, that was also his only real chance. Because if you look at it, um, they didn't really, the Red Bulls didn't really have the pace in the end of the race. Although, to be fair, um, 
Albon was going really well in the early laps because he emerged third from the carambolage at the start. <clears throat> and he was hanging with the others. So, um, and then he went off on the two-stop strategy oh, yeah. with, with Charles, mm. and that basically messed him up. It was actually um, Carlos Sainz who messed him up most because he lost a good few seconds behind Carlos, and he never got those back again. And, you know, I started, actually bumped into him at the airport on Monday morning, and he was pretty happy with it and uh, said he was feeling a little fragile because he'd been celebrating a little bit on Sunday night. Just remember, this man has never been to Mexico City before. And to finish like that in your first race, and yeah. I thought for a long time, early on in the race, you know, holy cow, there's definitely there's a podium on here. Mm. He's not careful, but I'm a big fan of Albon, so you know, I think uh, um, we'll see a lot more from him. So they, they, Red Bull, initially said, "Okay, it's not like he's got the seat. We're going to decide in 2020." But the vibes that are coming out from Red Bull is that he's made a positive start and and they like him. And that's got to be as important as, as raw results. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story now because I've been an, an Albon fan since uh, he started in Formula 2, which I suppose is two and a half years ago, nearly three years ago now. And, uh, and I just watched him and saw what he did in Formula 2. And he had a nasty bike accident and hurt himself and... He he drove really well, very very uh, strong minded and very um, mentally strong. He's had a real struggle to get to Formula One. And I was chatting to Christian Horner one day, and I said, you know, you really should look at at uh, Alex Albon because he's he's tough in the head, and you know some of these other youngsters are not anything like him. And uh, you know a lot of people think that he's as good as Leclerc. And uh, and Christian sort of said, well, <laughs> we're not really interested in. And then we kept on sort of having conversations. I said, have you signed him yet? You know, and uh, <laughs> and it got to that sort of level of silliness. And then one day I said, what are you doing for next year? You sorted it out. And he said, I think you'll just, you know, you'll be happy with the result probably, which I took as confirmation that they'd signed Elwell, uh, which actually, oddly enough, turned out to be correct. And uh, ever since then, Helmut Marko, whenever I bump into him, he says, you got any more driver tips for us? No, <laughs> so, that's hilarious. No, it's actually true. <laughs> um, he did it the other day when we were on the same plane uh, and we got off at the airport in, in uh, Osaka and he said, you have anyone else for us? Because you know, they've had a bit of a problem with Mr. O. Ward in Japan not doing very well. And mm. uh, There's a bit of a gap in their program. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of ongoing joke between us that I'm able to spot talent that he can't but I don't think it's necessarily true but you know in that particular case I got it right sometimes these things happen you know so if um if you're if you're Red Bull at the moment and obviously you've got Verstappen who's been there a couple of years and you've got Albon coming in are they pretty good at I mean Red Bull have got a reputation for being very harsh on young talent so a is he doing better oh, than too Gasly? harsh actually yeah. too so harsh. A, a is he doing better than Gasly and b do they offset the performance so is he being judged by a different bar to Max I don't think they've no I mean he's come in in the middle of a season he came into Toro Rosso which was a big step up it's not a big step up from formula 2 but it was you know it's it's a it's a lot of work to to learn how to do things, and he did very well. And then, but to go straight into a top team after how many races it was, I thought that was probably a little too premature. And you can, as it happened with Gasly and Kvyat, you can get into trouble if you don't have the necessary experience, whatever. So I was slightly worried about it, apart from the fact that Albon is 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 a tougher individual. 
mentally. I mean, he comes across as super laid back and charming and all the rest of it. But beneath that, there's some serious grit and granite. And, uh, and you know, that's the important thing. So not only that, but he came in to a new team, a top team in Formula One, going into the end of the season where none of the racetracks he'd ever, vis- he'd ever visited before. He went to Sochi, I think, but Singapore, Japan, uh, uh, Mexico. Here, um, Abu Dhabi, I think he might have done, but Brazil certainly not. So, you know, you'd think it was going to be a bit tough, but there you go. You know, you've seen him not quite on the pace of Max, but getting pretty close to it. And, uh, and I think Max might be a little bit. So I mean, Max, Max has known him for a very long time, so he knows how good he is. But um, I think, uh, you know, Max probably doesn't want to have a teammate who's too good. You know, it's a bit like Vettel and, and uh, Leclerc. Oh, it's like Hamilton as well, you know, where, where we, we've had Carter suggesting. No, but Lewis doesn't care. You don't Lewis think? doesn't care who his teammate is because his teammate isn't anywhere near good enough to beat him. I don't mean that nastily about Valtteri. It's just that it's true. You know, Valtteri can beat him occasionally, but he can't beat him on a regular basis. No, uh, yeah. Whereas yeah. Leclerc is beating, has been beating Vettel on a regular basis. Although in recent times, Vettel has fought back. Uh, so uh, we have a chat room, Joe. We're not, we're not alone. It's not just you and me in this shed. We have a live chat room that goes onto YouTube and searches for Mr. Apex Podcast and dutifully subscribes. You're all subscribed, right? They click a little bell. So when we go live, they, they see our faces and they can type things. And some people have done that. Uh, LGH Dejotma says uh, Albon has scored more points than Max, which is a nice statistic. Obviously, Max has, has, has made some, some mistakes. And I think he's had a little bit of reliability as well. Uh, but at least Albon has that on his side. Two questions here. James and Antil says, what actually happened to with Tictum? Uh, because DDTV213 says, confirmed Joe is running the Red Bull Driver Academy. So therefore, James wants to know, what did happen with Tictum in the end? Uh, Tictum went to Japan and... Uh, Basically, I think he, well, he didn't get any decent results in the races, but I think there was some off-track stuff that didn't go down awfully well with Red Bull as well. I don't know the full details, but I did hear some some tales of, of things that you don't really do when you're on. Uh, and he does, you know, there is this famous Tictum hair trigger, which got him banned in his youth um, for driving into somebody behind a safety car, as you may recall. Oh, yes. Um and uh, so basically, I think that I think I think he's got a lot of pace, but I think there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot more. We all know it's a lot more to being a Formula One driver than just having a bit of pace. So you know, I think maybe there's some growing up necessary. But the trouble is, you know, he's blown it in Red Bull terms. Um, but having said that, Pato Award, the next best thing, you know, it's sliced bread apparently, bloody bloody blah, and he lasted three races as well. And the key point there is also that it's not like they're doing it on their own. Their teammate is actually beating them. So as a Japanese player, now he knows his way around the circuits, but really that's, that's not such an important issue these days because good drivers get to know circuits very quickly. But neither one of them got anywhere close to him. Now, that might be a reflection on the team not being very good, but Team Mugen, um, generally speaking, has a fairly decent record. So it's hard to say. I, th- I think in the end, you have to put it down to attitude, and that's what um, uh, Helmut Marco is that's his sort of key indicator of uh, young drivers, which is their attitude and their speed. If their speed is right, that's fine. But if their attitude's right, that's even better. And that's why they're so happy with Albon because he he's not flaky under pressure, which you might say Gasly was. Um, 
Danny Kvyat, I mean, Kvyat and Gassi are doing a great job at Toro Rosso at the moment. I mean, apart from Danny punting off Nickenberg. That was a hell of a punt. But it was, a, it was just a bit of a silly thing to do because it was obvious um, that he was going to get penalised for that. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I understand that, you know, he's desperate to try and find ways of moving up, et cetera, et cetera. But um, sometimes desperation gets a bit silly. Actually, I was, I was watching Daniel Ricciardo versus Perez in the last laps in Mexico for, for a good uh, fight. whichever position it was. And it was um, seventh. It was fairly, fairly lively stuff, and I was I was just thinking, oh no, it's gonna it's gonna happen soon. It's gonna happen too because it's two relatively hot headed gentlemen. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was uh, from Ricardo's point of view as well. He had much fresher tires too, uh, but yeah, just just went in like really super hot. But was 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 sensible. But it was interesting. He couldn't come back again even after that move because I think um, I think we saw that at Mexico that the pass was the passes were possible. But there was a lot of factors like altitude and brakes overheating that were stopping cars getting really close. Uh, well, there were lots and lots. Of, actually, there was a lot of overtaking going on. If you, as I do a lap chart every race, you see all the overtakes that happen, and you know there's a lot more than people think. Probably um, there was it was constant action throughout. Now, in part, that was to do with obviously the different tires, but it was also to do with you know, people starting out of position on the grid. It was to do with people actually overtaking and the different characteristics of the car. We saw quite a lot of nice overtakes as well. So, you know, um, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's very much wrong with Formula One. That no, no, no. A few, a few tweaks on circuits wouldn't fix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have a lap chart. I have a nine-year-old watching the F1 timing app, which is becoming increasingly useful. So that, that's, that is my method. Speaking of... Uh, yeah, at, the end, at the end of it, your timing app doesn't give you a, a story of the race all written out with little symbols and things that mean things. So you can look at it and read the whole race. And you you do get a squiggly line, though, that tells you each driver's position at the end. That's quite good. So you can see well, that. Yeah, but it, does, it doesn't the actually tell you, it doesn't tell you the story. If you tip X things onto the screen, it does. But then, then my wife gets mad at me. Then your screen will go very white yeah. and become blizzardy. Yes. Uh, well, we're just on the uh, the the Red Bull program. One one thing of interest in Japan was the the Japanese driver who came in and uh, on on the face of it, on softer tires, seemed to do himself no no disgrace at all. So, do you have any more insight on that? Was that a flash in the pan? Was that dece- deceiving to our eyes, or, or was that a genuine talent jumping into an F one car? He's a Honda driver driving around Suzuka. If a Honda driver can't drive around Suzuka fast, he's not much good, is he? So if they really were interested in him, he he's 31 years old as well, minor point, but um, it is nonetheless uh, an interesting point. He's also never traveled the world much. Um, he's just He's raced very well in Japan. And if they were serious about wanting him in the future, which they're not, Honda would love him to be there, but Red Bull are not particularly interested, in fact, not interested at all when I had the discussion. Um, they would have to take him to somewhere he's never been to see how he does. Because, you know, Suzuka, remember when Eddie Irving came in, he'd been racing in Japan. Um, well, you probably don't because you were 12 or something. I know, but, but I'm nodding um, out of politeness to make you not feel too old, Joe. <laughs> I don't feel mm, old. Um, yeah, no, I remember. When Eddie Irvine came in in 1993, I think it was, um, is that right? Anyway, what is yes. in that sort of era? Um, he'd been racing at Suzuka for three or four years, came in and made a huge impression on his debut. Um, and he's good. You know, he was good, but that sort of local knowledge advantage helped. I think, I think that, um, 
he did a very good job. Um, but I don't think he's he's in you know, his future in Formula One is not um, it's not huge. I, I, this is a shame because there's such a great racing culture from Japan. It would be it would be great to have a Japanese driver. Yes, it, they would, but you need to have one who is capable of doing it properly. And we haven't had somebody like that since Takuma. Now there's a few guys who are getting close to it now, um, and we'll have to see. Eventually, they're going to get one. Who, who can do it because there is such a culture and there, you know, there's a lot of talented drivers, but you know, you, you have to go out of your, if you're particularly Japanese where you have a lot of cultural differences, dietary differences, all kinds of differences, you have to get them out and you have to get them into Europe and understand what racing is like at international level because it's different. And it's true with the Americans too. The, the Americans uh, who come to Europe um, too late. Yeah just go wow what is this they're trying to kill me because the people race in a completely different fashion um and so and you know that's why brazilians and south africans and whatever have always come to england or to europe at least to the to the center of the motorsport world to learn uh, what makes it what what creates the background that makes you a formula one driver Okay, so me and several people in the chat room are just we're just suppressing our feelings we're very upset that you you seem to skip over Kamui Kobayashi. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. I apologize. Unreserved. He Apology really accepted, Joe. But with a but heavy sometimes in, in the in the aging brain of this grandparental type, <laughs> one you know, one does sort of things slip by occasionally. I've got a GP Plus magazine in the chat room, so I'm going to leap on it. Uh, Francisca says, Joe. Speaking of your lap charts, would it be possible to include them in your GP Plus magazine? It would be interesting, and we would love it. And then there's some agreement. Uh, I could do. I could take a snapshot on my iPhone and and paste it into page. I suppose. Okay. Um, I'll have to discuss that with my partner in the business. Wow. But uh, if people want it, um, they might find it a little bit scrawly in places. But because uh, you know, lap charts can be a bit scrawly, particularly when things get exciting. But um, it is very very good because, for example, in Japan, uh, we had that strange double checkered flag at the end. And nobody, nobody actually spotted it apart from me. And I sat there and I went, um, this isn't right. And so I went off. The FIA hadn't noticed either. And I said, you need to sort this out. There's something going on here. Um, and eventually you know, it emerged what had happened. But, you know, up in the press room, nobody had actually figured it for the first uh, 10 minutes or so after the race ended. Suddenly, mm. you know, Perez suddenly leapt into, back into the... Uh, Oh, so points again, having, is, is having there, crashed out. Is there a Joe Scrawl that's just like WTF? Hey, what's going on? Scrawl sign. Uh, I James. can't remember what I did, but it, I probably um, I, what I usually do is on the on the sort of lap count number. The, the finish, the finishing lap, always has two lines, one on each side of it, um, and I might have moved those lines or something. But actually, I wanted to because you know when you're sitting there in a press room and you're in, and everybody's the race is just finished and you want to tweet results and things but you don't know why you're tweeting your result it's not very sensible is it uh in the chat room uh so francisco said that would still be fascinating no matter what the quality and i think what you're overlooking joe is for you they're just your lap charts for your fans they are joe saywood's lap charts and it's that personal touch isn't it this is true but um 
I can tell you I won't be doing that this weekend because I, I actually have lap chart sheets specially printed. Ah. Uh, I, have enough, I have enough lap charts to do another 20 years. Um, <laughs> okay. And, good. Uh, it's good to plan well, ahead. Because, you know, there, there aren't many out there these days, lap charts. <laughs> I used to, sponsors used to do them and things like that. But I have my own ones and I only bought enough. I forgot to put an extra one in for Austin. So this one will have to be done on the back of result sheets and things. So it won't print up awfully well. Yeah, and it'll be covered in barbecue ribs and stuff because you're in Texas. Well, I could actually nip off because about six feet from me, I actually do have my lap chart from last weekend. So if you want to have a look at it, I could show you. Go on then, go on, nip off. I'll fill. I'm good at filling. I'm like a radio guy. So it's okay. I can fill. <laughs> Coming up on Missed Apex podcast, we're going to be speaking to Chris Medland at some point after the Austin Grand Prix. And our Austin Grand Prix race review will be much in the same vein as our Mexican Grand Prix race review. It will be done on the night. So we'll watch the race and we'll get onto the live stream as soon as we can. And there it is. There's Joe's lap chart. Is that in pencil? It's in pen. Is yeah. it in pen? Okay. Well, how are yeah. you going to rub it out if you make and a it's mistake? A special, it's a special Grand Prix Plus, as you can see. Oh, you've actually got it labelled and everything. It's proper legit. Oh, yeah. There you go. Mexico. and So that's what you, that's what you get at the end of it. Um, and as you can see, it's not just a list of numbers. I try to do it up here, don't I? Yeah. As, as it's not just a list of numbers. There's pit stops you've got to circle around. Penalties have a square around them. And uh, if you're lapped, that's what that wiggly line in the middle is. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Hang on. Hang on a minute. What does it say? So, sorry to the audio, people. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a thing about Lando Norris. Stops pit lane, push back, rejoins. Uh, Max Verstappen, puncture right rear. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen. All these, all these sort of notes. Charles Leclerc off on lap 58. And at the top... Of each lap, you will see. I've got to get this right again. You'll see the numbers across the top. Can you see that? Yeah. And that is the gaps. Oh, so, you sit there and write the gaps out. Yeah, yeah. You have. That's why I said this is not like a lap chart. This is this is like writing a a visual history of the race. And after the race, you can read the race quite quickly. All right. Okay. Yeah. You're you're right. It is slightly better than the F1 timing app for considerably yes. more more work. Uh, that will have to be a double header to fit into GP Plus magazine, which is a subscription-based PDF magazine available mere minutes, mere seconds after the race has ended, Joe. Well, it's not quite seconds, but six hours is usually, oh, usually the number. I oversold. It, it, is also, it is also 80 to 90 to 100 pages long, depending on the mood. And we have all kinds of exciting things with interviews and stuff like that. So, for example, recently we interviewed a Michael Massey, which I had been a lot have seen Michael and Massey interview anyway. But you did one, and it was definitely on my on my notes to ask you about uh, Massey being the the new race director. So he's not a character we've we would have known about in previous seasons. So uh, really, a couple of questions just to set set the scene for an ordinary armchair fan like me who may or may not have the odd tilt to a driver or or against any kind of certain teams, as is my want. You look at the stewarding and. Whether you agree with it, whether you think it's been good or bad, is it fair to say it has been different? And and that is to be expected. With a different captain at the tiller, it is going. It is there is going to be some changes to approach. Yes and no, um, because there's been this desire to let them race. Uh, even under the Charlie era, there was a lot of people saying let them race, as opposed to punishing every single thing they did. So even you know Michael. 
came in in uh, Melbourne, and uh, the first big meeting they had about Let Them Race um, was in Bahrain, I believe. So it was a little bit early for him to have sort of taken taken the initiative like that. He was still um, not finding his feet, but he, you know he, he knows how to do the job. He knew how to do the job, but doing it in Formula One is a bigger job. So I think that uh, he's done a remarkably good job. He has a remarkable history of, of events behind him, um, lots of the right kind of experiences. He's a good, practical, pragmatic, sensible bloke. and. Uh, I think he's perfect for the role. So, you know, we, we we would be pretty unhappy, I think, across the board if he didn't get the job full-time in the future. Um, but, you know, there are some other um, young guys. One of the things about Charlie was there was, which we kind of learned, uh, actually, um, when, uh, let me think who it was, uh, when Laurent left the FIA to go to Ferrari, he was um, the, the deputy race director at that point. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, the FIA had a problem because they kept losing their deputy race directors. And... Uh, you know they needed to have a group, and they don't. They now have a group of them, and they need to look at things. And they are looking at things like succession planning and things like that, which the FIA has never done before, anything like that, because it was just Charlie had all the jobs, you know, and that was it. Um, but now they're talking about actually having things in much more sort of sensible. I would, I want to say corporate, but that's not the right expression. In a, in a more sort of structured way, rather than. Uh, you know, ad hoc, a guy juggling all the plates. Is that is that what we're looking at? No, having it's it's just, and, and a lot of teams are now having to do this because of the way the sport is going. Having people who are capable of just slotting in, like Mercedes Benz Bono's not there uh, last weekend, and probably not this weekend, and so they have to slot somebody else in. And you know, it was quite seamless actually. Um, it worked very well, but that's because they have a lot of strength in depth at Mercedes, and they are already thinking about. Um, that kind of thing, whereas a lot of teams have no um, succession planning at all. So, you know, there's a level of 
crisis and chaos that comes if something happens to somebody. Um, but if you plan for it, that doesn't happen. So the whole sport needs to do that because we're going up in races. We're going to go to 25 races probably in the next few years. And it's going to be really tough. I'm not sure it's a good idea, I have to admit. And most of the teams don't think it's a good idea. But obviously, Liberty Media does think it's a good idea because they make more money. It's, uh, yeah, very interesting point about yeah, having almost like a modular professional structure. So what you wouldn't want is just one charismatic person who then feeds his vision down. You want a representative in each role that is representing the larger organization. You know, so, yeah, so you can have... Well, you have to have people who are capable of stepping up to to the job without it, with with the seamlessness um, that I don't think happens at the moment. Um, In the case of uh, post-Charlie, I think Michael's been almost seamless. But and, and he has some new ideas that he thinks are the right way of doing it. And gradually, as the season's gone on, and he's he's felt more settled in the role. You know, we've had the we've had the white flag, black and white flag, and we'll we'll also have the black and red flag being used more. Charlie used to do all that on the radio. It doesn't mean he wasn't using them. He wasn't using the actual symbols. But I think Michael's view is that, or perhaps we should use the symbols so that everybody understands what's going on all the time. Whereas doing it on the radio to mm-hmm. the team. You don't know, as a member of the public watching, you don't know if this guy's been getting a warning for being naughty driving. Um, now you will know because there it will be a black and white flag and we'll all know who it's for. Uh, last question on Massey. Clearly, he's he's doing stepping into a very difficult role and it's a very, very high profile and high pressure job. And and without without wanting you to give away any more of your interview, because there people need to tune into GP+, magazine or search for joe blogs f1 to find out those kind of delicious joe written details is there an element where teams think okay there is a new uh, gamekeeper we can press harder we can push harder we can make our case harder and inevitably the new person is going to feel more pressure than the the old person the old incumbent who had a, a standing relationship with the teams well yes no that is the answer to that because the, the race director role that Charlie had is not the same role that Michael has. Uh, it's, it's been carefully, um, not divided up exactly, but Michael doesn't deal so much in the technical stuff as in the sporting stuff. So he focuses on that side, running the whole form, the FIA team at the races, uh, and obviously doing the race director role in the races. However, the technical stuff is being run by a man called Nicholas Tombasis and then he um, regular Formula One fans will know that he was chief aerodynamicist at Ferrari for many years. Um, was it McLaren? I think, if I remember correctly, I'd have to look up his CV. He was either McLaren or Renault or Benetton, whatever. But he's done his tours of the top teams. He knows what's going on, and the people know him. So, you know, oh, somebody's just appeared. Oh. Wrong room. <laughs> you, you have- just. How did they get into my hotel room with? Uh, Joe, if, if you if you asked for extra pillows and that's them arriving, we can bring this to a, a quick a quick end. What? No, no, no. It's it's just people I've never seen in my life before just walking into the hotel room as you do. You know that makes you feel safe. I, if that was me, true story, I mm-hmm. would be so paranoid. I would now be leaning chairs up against the. Are they in again? 
No, no, they've finally shut the door because they're probably standing outside going, what the hell's going on? Because I, I something would, screwed up yeah, on the desk. Yeah, I would know? barricade the doors. Uh, well, I'll tell you something else. I was leaving the hotel in Mexico City the other day. Everyone takes, talks about Mexico City, great place, fantastic, fun, blah, blah, passion, da, 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 da. As I was leaving the hotel on Monday morning, about 7.30 or something, I bumped into a man with a submachine gun who was standing outside the hotel. And I thought to myself, well, that really tells you something about Mexico that I hadn't. In fact, I don't think in my entire career I've ever seen a man with a submachine gun standing outside the hotel I was staying <laughs> um, even in. Even in Brazil, I haven't seen that. So you know, there's another side that one has to sort of uh, – we can gloss over it if you like, but I was quite shocked, to be honest. Uh, no, James, that is not the Finnish air hostesses from Joe's flight <laughs> earlier. And Darren, that's a very naughty comment indeed. Uh, that does tell you something about Mexico City. It's certainly not a city where the heat is on all night on the street till the break of dawn, uh, because next we're going to Miami. Now, you won't get that reference, Joe, but that is from a very popular rap song from an artist You're called You're quite Will right, Smith. I will not get that reference. I could have done it in a more rap way, but I didn't want to alarm you. But mm-hmm. let's go to Miami. Our, our, um, <laughs> our little journo man, Chris Sleepy Stevens, got a lot of flack for suggesting that the Miami Grand Prix, a couple of weeks ago, he said, uh, might be coming under pressure and might not happen. You've just done a recent post that suggests uh, much the same. They're struggling a little bit for this Miami No, I didn't. I'm not suggesting much the same. What I'm saying is that some of the local politicians, some of whom clearly have no clue what they're doing, um, have thrown some more obstacles in the way. Um, Now, I can't see, I can understand, you know, you can say that there's, uh, poor old residents. I mean, you, you'd be hard-pressed anywhere in, in southern Florida to find a place with fewer houses um, than where they've actually found. Um, and, you know, basically, the, 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 the people don't understand that when you have a Grand Prix in your neighborhood, it's very good for your neighborhood. And if you don't like noise, and Formula One cars are not noisy anymore. Remember that? Everyone used to criticize how not loud they are. And one of the things that... Um, the protest people or the people who are against it uh, made a fuss about. They were talking about, you know, these Formula One cars, they're like jets taking off in your ears, you know, and it's like sort of, well, I'm sorry, but I must be missing something (laughs) here because they're not. Because if you're in the paddock and they go out to do a practice session, you actually sometimes don't know they're out there because you can't hear them. So clearly there's a bunch of propaganda going on and talking absolute tosh. Um, And, you know, we just have to go through the steps before we realize just the Save Albert Park existed in Melbourne for many years and didn't realize that the park was saved by Formula One. Um, You're always going to get some NIMBYs, which is what they call them in England, what you call them in the rest of the world, but not in my backyard. We We just complain about everything, say no to everything, because it's in their backyard and might upset their dull little lives. Yeah, they always want their house to be the last house built in the countryside. Don't they? So, yes, absolutely, yeah. and, and and they're quite happy for there to be a Grand Prix in Florida, but they don't want it near their house. You know, it's it's it, it's it's a classic syndrome. Um, we all understand it, and we just have to get round it. The only question is, you know, how powerful are the NIMBYs? Now, if you try to do it downtown in Miami, you've got very rich people, and as we know, very rich people can sway opinions. By I don't know how they do that, but you know, they seem to be able to sway opinions and get things stopped. Um, but if you go to a poorer area like Miami Gardens, you know. You, you're not, uh, you're not exactly piling up the Mercedes-Benz up there, unless they're nicked, of course. Uh, okay, there's a few subjects I must get you to, Joe, but I did. I promised we'd get you away by midnight UK time uh, because you've, you've got company, not that kind of company, 
professional company coming over for work stuff. In theory, not- in theory, my business partner is somewhere in the building, but uh, he definitely wasn't one of the crowd who just came charging in. So It's not all play. It's not all play for these jet-setting journalists. Sometimes they have to knuckle down uh, and work. Well, However, Sometimes it's almost all the bloody time. <laughs> that's the, uh, that, that's the, the funny thing. We travel around the world and don't do anything interesting apart from work. I just think you're doing it wrong. There's got, there's got to be more. Yeah, I may well be. It's true. But if I stop doing it, I'd probably stop traveling because you've got to earn money too, you know. Medlin's always on it. He's always in the nightclubs at every venue partying. Yes, but he's 12. You know, he's, <laughs> he's got to, he's, he, he doesn't have any sort of other responsibilities in life. He's a, he's a very young man and vaguely fit. And uh, so, yeah, and he probably does, he does a lot of work, no question about it, but he does a different kind of work. He's not, he's not crashing out whole magazines on Sunday evenings. I, I will say I was completely making that up. I, I'm, I'm, I have no knowledge. No, no, of... you're quite right. I was like, oh, lucky I mean, guess. No, no, because well, but Chris is, is, is very much younger than me. Um, and when I was young, you know, we used to have a lot. In, in those days, it was different because the media was different. But it is a little bit a reflection of what your work is. Now, if you're a, 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 what we used to call the Fleet Street Boys, there isn't such a thing as Fleet Street anymore, but a, a, a national newspaper, English guy, you don't have a huge amount to do over a race weekend. I mean, you, you may think you do, but in terms of churning out you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of words, they're not doing it. They're churning out you know, a few but they always seem to manage to go off to have parties and Saturday nights are always spent doing this and that and the other. But, you know, that's lucky for them. And Meadows has got um, uh, a, a slightly different workload to me. And he spends lots of time sitting in the press room, hammering away on his keys. Um, and I don't. I'm out wandering around the paddock talking to people, which is, you know, that's how you do the news gathering. Yeah, talk. Okay. I mean, I mean, I've heard from other sources that you sleep every night on a big pile of money surrounded by, by huh. all, all the air crew. But I must ask you these questions, Joe. I'm running so short on time and there's several things that have made me angry. Well, don't waste time on air crew. Then, I you know. know it's, it's blah, you. blah, blah. Get on with it. Yeah, yeah, stay out of Joe's room, air crew. Right, Alpha. There's two Alphas. I'm furious. I've never been more livid. Who who said that, Al- that, that Toro Rosso could change their name. Like, what's next? Uh, are Williams going to change their name to oh, hang Mercedes? On, hang on, hang on. A, couple, a few years ago, we had Lotus and Lotus. What's the difference? I don't know. I'm, I feel I'm just angrier in general these days. But who who did that? Why? What's happening? Oh, because, Tell me what's happening. Because Red Bull want to promote some clothing line they have. And I mean that in the sense of a fashion line as opposed to something you try your clothes on. Um, and they have one called Alpha Toro which is a big red star in the universe somewhere. Um, part of Taurus, I suppose, the bull. And that's the Red Bull connection. So they decided to change the name. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense having Alpha and PH Alpha, uh, F Alpha and PH Alpha. But um, you know, commentators, Crofty's going to get himself in a knot, isn't he? It's Alpha, it's Alpha coming in again, Alpha again. You know, it's just silly, isn't it? But mm. there's also a fairly sane argument in as much as we have yet to see whether Alfa Romeo is going to stick around in Formula One for long because it's been fairly appalling um, performance this year from them. And the Alfa Romeo car company is doing really badly at oh, the moment. So um, this they, is a serious this is a serious threat. This is a serious threat. There's a serious point. I mean, I believe that in the first six months of this year, Lancia sold more cars than Alfa Romeo did. Ooh. I mean, they, they seriously, I mean, wait, 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 sales. hang on. Have you got, I'm confused? serious. I'm serious. Have you got confused with the amount of Alfa Romeos that complete journeys? Obviously that figure's lower. <laughs> See, that's the problem because mm. people, the brand is a damaged brand. You have just come up 
with exactly the reason people don't buy Alphas. Yeah, I love so them. They have to fix the brand. Oh, mm. they, they have a great range of cars now. Mm. I love they, my Alpha. Know, they've but... done really well. They've, they've sort of fixed it up. But unfortunately, their brand is, is, is ruined. And then coming to Formula One, the only value of doing that is if you can actually convince people that you have um, great material. But, you know, it, if you look at it on paper, it's an Alfa Romeo Ferrari. How the hell does that work? Uh, it doesn't make any sense no. to me. And so I'm not sure they'll stick around, but we'll see. I'm just going to refuse to call them that name until one of the alphas is gone. I'm just going to... Well, I can't get my head around at Fourth India, whatever it's called this week, Racing Point. It's Stroll's 21st birthday today, I'm told. What do you get the the kid that's already been bought a Formula One team, Joe? Uh, one of those terrariums, I think, where the plants are in a jar. Mm. I'm going to send it. I'll have to, I'll have to apply myself <laughs> to that one. I think probably... Uh, a ticket to normality for a year or two would probably do him some good. Finally, finally, Joe, if if you can bear it, Toto Wolf says he blocked, he personally blocked reverse grids. I, I get it. He's talking about preserving the DNA of the sport. I'm a little disappointed. It, as a lifelong Formula One fan, I just kind of wanted to see them try, as silly as it might have been. No, I absolutely agree with Toto. I can't stand reverse grids. They reward people who don't deserve to be rewarded. And um, even if it's qualifying, uh, I don't believe it's the right way of doing it. So, And he wasn't the only one who did it. Um, other people objected to it as well. I think having gimmicks doesn't help. It's a bit like promoting people who shouldn't be in Formula One because they are of some particular underexposed class or whatever. Um, it, you know, you've got to have the talent. And if you don't have the talent, you shouldn't be there. My only counter argument to that would be if you were doing reverse championship order, wouldn't wouldn't everyone have the same disadvantage? And you, it's not really an advantage being at the front because you're only there. Because no, but it affects, it impacts the results of your of the starting grid. And on a race where overtaking is tough, you go to Paul Ricard, you have a reverse grid, and Grosjean's going to start winning races. You know, it's just not right. Uh, and, and you see it in Formula 2. You see it in Formula 2 all the time where somebody who doesn't deserve to win a race wins the sprint race on the, on the, on the Sunday because they've reversed the grid on the Saturday. It's just wrong. And it's, you know, it, it gives a false impression of who's good and who's not good. Now, not always because some of the guys in their first year, they happen to be in that area of the grid where they can win the sprint races and they aren't good enough. But I've seen one or two. If you look back in the history of Formula 2 race winners and GP2 before that, there were some really weird, weird ones who never made it, of course, in the big game. Can I agree with you and then, and sorry, can I disagree with you and then immediately backtrack and agree with you? You can. Is that, is that loud? Okay, so firstly, you said Grosjean would win a race. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Um, no, it, you know, but if you, if you do it, if you do that at Monaco and Grosjean happens to be, you know, done really badly in the championship, happens to be at the front of the qualifying and happens to do a decent job and then happens to be on the pole position for the main race, it could happen. Yeah, as long and as that's he doesn't... Where I'm absolutely against that. As long as he doesn't have to drive out of a pit lane, he'll be absolutely fine. Uh, but in W Series, they they tried it. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, what? They tried it and, and uh, Gilks won from the front having really, really not made any kind of impression at all. Who is... I actually... To be quite honest, Canadian, I have no idea. Canadian driver, either. Canadian driver who had been very crashy and quite slow, was able to pick up a win just because in a spec series she was out at the front and there was battles behind, and you get slowed down in a spec series. 
Once no, I guess that, uh, that highlights my interest in that. It, it does, subject. which is why I said I, I disagreed with you and then immediately reversed and, and, and agreed with you. Joe, I will let you go. You have work to do, but please tell the good people where to find all your things. Well, I think some of the people really know where to find my things because they're walking in my hotel room in the middle of a podcast. But there we are. It all adds to the colourful of the colourful nature of the podcasting, doesn't it? It does. So I, I will um, see you soon. I'm um, I'm off to Europe after this, and then down to Brazil. And goodness knows, I don't know. Eventually, uh, the season will end somewhere near Christmas. So I guess we search Joe Blogs F1, but you do a super secret double special newsletter for super interested people. Yeah, for super interested people. It's called JSBM, and it's the industry newsletter. And actually, the people up and down the pit lane read it, and they learn things from it even more which is actually the key to it. So they pay lots of money. So, But if you really want to know what's going to be in the news in about two weeks' time, um, it's always good to subscribe to that because there's lots of stories that um, go through that first. So if you want informed opinions, search for Joe Sayward or Joe Blogs F1. If you want to listen to people yelling across the Atlantic from their sheds, debating things in an ill-informed but timely fashion, then make sure you subscribe to Missed Apex Podcast on your podcatcher of choice. We try to get your, your race reviews to you before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Can I just add that actually... A, a web address worth visiting is called www.flashoutpublishing.com because that's where everything is in one page. And you can sign up to all my things and give me loads of money for all the different stuff. That's smart. We should put all our things in one place as well, like mistapexpodcast.com. Yeah, go check that out. You can find- Well, actually, Mist Apex is on Flat Out Publishing. There's a link. Score. All right, just go to Joe's thing, then come back to us. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Sayward. You can follow me at Spanners Ready on the Twitters or the show at Missed Apex F1. We will see you for our Austin Grand Prix race review, and then we'll have more special guests and analysis after that. Wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Inside F1 with Joe. I was here too. And it, sadly, they weren't finished stewardesses coming in. It was some, just a sort of regular kind of Texan people. If it was the bellboy, Joe, that's fu- Look, hey, this is a non-judgy zone. You do what you want to do. No, there were at least two of them. I think there might even have been three, but there you are. So. Now we've got a party. Now we've got a party. Oh, yeah. There we Why go. <laughs> just build, build GP Plus magazine. They'll pick up the tab. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying our rather hectic schedule this week. Not only did we have the race review very late at night on Sunday for the Mexican race review. We also had the opportunity to speak to both Joe and Matthew Carter. However, they were both only available on the same day. The only reason Matt and I were able to capitalize on that and bring you that content is because we are supported on Patreon. I know I say it a lot, but genuinely, we A, wouldn't survive without the backing of our patrons, and B, we wouldn't be able to capitalize on opportunities like this to bring you the content. Otherwise, it would have been a few weeks before we could speak to either again. So whilst Missed Apex podcast will always remain free, your patron support really does keep the wheels on the wagon. So if you think you would buy Matt or I a cup of coffee, if you were to see us in a hotel lobby, then maybe you consider contributing to Missed Apex podcast. You can do a donation from the homepage or you can support us regularly on patreon.com 
forward slash missed apex patreon.com forward slash missed apex we do try and chuck some rewards your way but really it's more about supporting content creators in the podcast realm the podcasts that survive are the ones that have backing or are supported we have no backing i'm in a shed our existence is due to 350 fantastic patrons i hope you'll consider becoming one of them See you after Austin. We're going to stay up late and record another sleepy race review. We'll give Chris some coffee this time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.